Hello, and welcome to Getting It. The conversation where we try to understand life just that little bit more. My name's Dan. And my name is Saban. We're both medical students based in London. And in this episode, we continue our language learning series. We discuss how learning foreign languages can improve our own English, the role of sentence structure in our speech, and how changing the order of information in a sentence changes how the content comes across. Hello, Saban. <laughs> Good morning, Saban. Good morning, Dan. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. I'm glad that we can be recording face-to-face. Yeah. In fact, I think we're in the the best spot of all for yes. recording. This is the ultimate getting it yeah. location. Back in Bournemouth, in the weird studio room. Yes. It's funny, it's like our period synced or something. We just came to Bournemouth at the same time. Yeah, we just <laughs> uh, we just aligned, bro. Like, now we, yeah. we, we came at the same weekend. Um, because I was thinking, I was like, oh man, we have to record this weekend. But I was like, oh man, I'm going to Bournemouth, so it's going to have to be online. And then you messaged me on Thursday and be like... I'm going to Bournemouth, and I was like, yeah, boy. I was, yeah, that was a very nice coincidence. And I think it's sad that we didn't get a summer this year to just record a bunch of episodes here, because last summer that was really nice. Yeah, but although we probably recorded most of the bunch like during that, the like winter Christmas holidays. Yeah. yeah, that's true, actually. But yeah, so uh, I'm good. It's been very busy recently, but in a good way. And <laughs> it was just, <laughs> when you came over today, it was just like, oh, that, how are you doing? You're like, burnt out, but it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's quite accurate. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I say it's good is like, if I have, ref- I do I do try to reflect and yeah. I think I know my limits fairly well at the moment. So although I'm definitely pushing myself quite a bit, I do recognize that I can take a step back when necessary. And that is important to do. But um, yeah, I mean, the thing... The thing that I was going to talk about in the preamble, if you don't mind, we'd mm. quickly just talk about French because I've had a weird experience with it recently. I, I learned it at school for five years, but obviously, as we've talked about before, the English, like the system for learning languages is not great. Mm. And I did fairly well. Actually, French and Spanish were my best ever subjects at school, by far, actually. But since finishing school, I haven't really interacted too much with the French language compared with uh, compared with Portuguese and Spanish, for example, where I did Spanish at school and I've retained quite a lot of like, I don't know, just sort of taking in the language in various forms. With French, I, I do like read the news quite regularly and stuff, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't engaged too much. But basically... Is that read the news in French or read France-related news? Read the news in French okay. and stuff like that. And sometimes like I'm subscribed to a few... Uh, YouTube channels in French so I do watch those videos every now and again but it's not too regular not too consistent and I don't speak it with anyone the channel I watch most is a channel called Dessous de Cartes very good and it's a geopolitics YouTube channel it's super fun um, anyway so recently I just start I don't know I've been reading a bit more in French and I realized something weird a hundred percent I can understand a lot more than when I was at school and it's bizarre to the point where as long as it's not too complex and if, if the language isn't too flowery or it's not too dis- like, like if literature it, type, if it's describing, if it's quite like arty, yeah. like describing a concept or something, then I, I will struggle and I still encounter plenty of words I don't know, but it's remarkable how much I'm able to understand. So for example, when I watch videos now, if it's on a topic on something that I'm fairly familiar with, like geography or, or sport or something, I, I won't have to, I won't need any English subtitles and I can definitely follow the episode 
fine. You know, I'll, I'll miss words out sometimes, but I know exactly what's going on, which is really good and surprising. And I think I have a reason why. I was talking about this with my flatmate, Sai, because he experienced a similar thing with French, same experience with me at school. And then now we've been watching videos recently and we're able to just watch it with French subtitles and nothing else. I think what's happened is we've both read a fair bit since leaving school. And I think our English has got a lot better. So, so many, you know, obviously English comes from a form of old French in a way. The, the English is a weird language, but there's so much French involved in the language that I think what's happened is any word that we read, there are almost always uh, an English version. There's almost always an English version of that word, even if it's not the one that would be used as much. So for example, I was, I was reading yesterday in the word lucid. I wouldn't have known that word at school, I don't think, but now I can associate that with lucid and make the connection on the meaning. And it's it's quite fascinating that getting better at English has undoubtedly helped my French. And I, that's not something I would ever have with Mandarin, for example. But French is one of the best languages where that would apply. So at school, I learned the grammar. I learned all of the main words. I don't know how to describe what I mean there. But, you know, like all the when I did the language episode, you know, talking about all the time words, depuis, après, alors, um, ensuite, all of those like words that are just mm. used in language. But then a lot of the main verbs and stuff, yeah, you can just sort of make associations between roots and nearly every word will make sense. And then also I'm very lucky because my Portuguese has got a lot better since leaving school. So any of the words which actually don't have a connection with English, there's a chance that it will therefore be because of the, it's a purely Latin origin that's not shared in English. But then I, I will often understand the root of that. So I'm really lucky uh, to now definitely be a bit better at reading French. So it's quite exciting and, and quite pleasurable in a way. Have you gotten better at Spanish over this period as well? Like over the past five years? Or I don't think I have personally, but I must have because of the Portuguese as well. I haven't really mm. tested it. So what I realized I haven't done enough is I haven't read enough in these languages. So that's actually a small task for me in the months and years ahead. I'm, I'm lucky to be at a point where I have a level of proficiency in French, Spanish and Portuguese where I can read in those languages. And there is so much rich literature available in those languages. I don't know why I haven't done it before, but I just spent some time reading it. So what I've done now is I've, I bought a book yesterday called Le Petit Prince in French, which is a, quite a short story. And the French isn't too complicated. And I bought it on my Kindle with one column in English and one column in French the whole time. And I'm just reading the French column the whole time. But inevitably on every page, there are a couple of words I don't know. So easy to just flick across, look like look for that word and then understand and continue. It's not a very um, arduous read. Like I'm able to read it and just follow the French side. I don't have to keep switching between the English side. And yeah, I realized why have I not done this before? Just reading children's stories basically in French, Spanish and Portuguese. If I read those enough, I, I feel like I've become more accustomed to the language and how it's spoken. Mm. I, I don't, I'm turning this thing into like a, like a bit of a diatribe now, I'm sorry, but there's such a big difference between being able to communicate correctly in a language and actually use the language how it's used by the people who speak it. So for example, in English, I could just use correct English all the time and it will make sense. But the way we phrase things is often quite particular and you, you need to know the language to know how people will say something, if that makes sense, or the word that would actually be used in a certain scenario. So again, I've got that thing in French where I would be able to make sense but it wouldn't be how someone in France would actually say something. Through reading, I've already noticed that I'm, I'm understanding those nuances a little bit better. And I hope that, that will continue. 
and I look forward to it continuing. The only thing is I feel a bit bad for Mandarin at the moment because, yeah, I've been a bit on like a French phase in the last few days. But that's fine. You know, that's that's part of the process. And I guess you, you have periods where you're really into one. Yeah. And, you're not, and we've talked about this as well in terms of like going in deep into a subject as opposed to just doing like five minutes a day. I'd rather spend a week intensely and then a couple of weeks off. So, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll stop myself there. I <laughs> uh, hope you don't mind that. No, no, it's run. interesting because... Is very similar to, you know, when I mentioned that kind of skill learning thing where I was like, I was better, although I hadn't really done it actively. Yes. Kind of like that, where you've been doing stuff that is kind of related, like other languages. And the English is the biggest one. Yeah. And yeah, I suppose English. And then going back to something and you realize you're better, even though you haven't put any actual direct effort into learning that language or becoming better at it. So it's interesting. So when people say like, oh, you have to learn in this way and that way and everything, it's quite narrow-minded because that assumes that, or, you know, ignorant or arrogant, it depends what kind of framing you're coming from, because that assumes that we know fully how the brain works or how everyone is going to learn in the most optimal way. There are some optimal things to do, but those are more general kind of practices in terms of like, you know, a certain amount of repetition is required, a certain amount of focus is required with to learn a skill or a language or whatever. But then after that, once you've reached a certain level of proficiency, how you actually start learning can be really different. You do, and like, even if you're learning actual motor skills, you don't actually have to, once you've reached a certain level of proficiency in that skill, you don't have to properly focus on that skill. You just need to kind of practice it and your brain will just kind of fix what it needs to fix. Um, Cause it will just kind of notice small things. And depending on the, you know, feedback system, if it's like open, open loop or closed loop and stuff, basically it's really complex. And it's nice to just see it in a different aspect where it's more kind of like all in your head rather than, you know, physical where, you know, you can, you get the feedback a lot better. Whereas just going back to something like a language you haven't really studied or spoken in quite a while and realize you're better, or at least you can understand more. It just goes to show that, yeah, you're still probably just learning things or consolidating things, or you're just making connections that your or your brain's making connections that you don't even realize until you come back to it. I strongly think that actually, like I, I strongly think that we're doing that all the time without realizing that mm. we're improving we're, it's almost like we're improving at everything all the time very slightly because yeah. anything you learn you can apply to other things so yeah. the mandarin i actually think has helped my french as well because in mandarin you can word something okay people who speak mandarin might um might slate me for this so i'm sorry that this this could be a bit wrong okay uh, please get back to us if i am and then correct me later but something i've learned about mandarin is you you can phrase the same thing in a bunch of different ways so um you could say, which would mean, what time do you want to go with me? Like, what time should we go or together, kind of? Um, or like, um, yeah, like, what time do you want to go? But you could also see, say, and they'll understand what you're saying. It's basically, you've switched up the order. Or, I've said that same thing in three different ways, and I'm very confident they would understand what I'm saying. The the one I think would be most said is the first one. Something like that. But the, the bottom line here is you can say the same thing in a bunch of different ways. In Mandarin, you can really get away with it compared to English, where if I said to you, you, what time with me do you want to go? That would No one would say that. It's almost always, what time do you want to go with me? Yeah. So are you using the exact same words? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And I, I oh, added an ET, which means like together Fine. sometimes. But yeah, 
as I said, I'm, I'm very sorry. I think that there'll be slight errors in how I've said it. But my bottom line is I'm confident that each time I would say that, the other person would 100% understand what I'm saying. Mm. And I don't think it would be that wrong, basically. Okay, so is this kind of analogous to, say, in English? I suppose it's more slang kind of thing, where a good example is someone asks you, oh, do you want to go do this thing? And you can say, oh, yeah, I'm up for that. Or you can say, oh, yeah, I'm down for that. <laughs> it's the exact, even though <laughs> those two words mean, are polar that, opposites. Yeah, it's a very funny, like, yeah, yeah that's a funny thing about um, English. But yeah, I, I don't know if that comes into the realm of slang. Maybe it was at one point, but not really. I think it's just kind of well accepted now. Or like everyone just uses that kind of phraseology. But so it's... Yeah, those are completely different words. That's, and that's just a one word example where you're just switching yes. that one word and not rephrasing the whole sentence. I think it's more like if you, um, if you break down like what each word means in a sentence, like subject, verb, object, the order in English is quite rigid. It's like, um, I play football, subject, verb, object, mm. right? In Mandarin, it's actually the same as in English, which is quite cool. So I play football would be like, I play or I equivalent of play yeah. football. Um, but there's a lot more flexibility with it. And I don't think that exists in European languages as much. Mm. So this is a bit speculative, but I think that culturally there's more of a way to say something in English. And especially I think in French as well, there's like a way to say something. But what I've learned from the Mandarin, from speaking with people in Mandarin, is that it doesn't matter as much as long as they understand what you're trying to say. It isn't, the distinction isn't so important. Like, oh, you should really put that at the start of a sentence. And I've kind of brought that into my English a little bit, realizing that it doesn't quite matter as much as I used to think, as long mm. as you, it makes grammatical sense. And in French as well, I, I, I've sort of, sort of started to do that. Like I've realized if I don't know how to word something, if I don't know a particular word in a sentence, you can rephrase it and it will still make sense and you can get away with it. It might not be the most correct way to say it. And especially with a language like French where, you know, historically yeah. people are quite, um, <laughs> sorry, hiccuped. Um, people are quite uh, particular about how you should speak. But yeah, do, do you see what I'm saying here? I hope the point is. Yeah, no, I, I do. Because I think when I'm speaking, I just throw all grammatical rules out the window. Half the time, I don't think my sen my sentences when I'm speaking make grammatical sense. And when I'm writing, if I'm just writing a letter or like just normal messages to a friend or someone, um, or like an email, that's just like normal. My sentences or like sentence structure probably has a very you know standard format, like you were saying. But for some reason, when I write scientific, like doing a write up for whatever, so when I'm doing scientific writing my sentence structure seems to go backwards in terms of like how I would order clauses of a sentence. I almost do it opposite in, in, in the opposite way. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, I can't think of an example right now, but um, I, I don't know if you know what I mean. Do you? <laughs> Where it, it's like, okay, say you have a, a, a two clause sentence, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's one thing before the comma, one thing after the comma, like a, a sentence or like, you know, a phrase, you know, a statement before and after a comma, I would a lot of the time reverse it. Like the, the those two clauses, I would put one before the other, but I wouldn't usually speak like that or write normal messages like that. But in scientific writing, I, I tend to do that. And I think it's just because I read a lot of scientific papers that have that similar kind of sentence structure, but it, I don't know why, but I don't know. I feel like that's a similar thing to what you're saying where the exact order it still gets the same point across, basically. Because you can get stuck in your head. So like, another preface, I might be slightly wrong here, so I'm sorry to any French speakers, but you could say like, there's a random sentence, 
c'est c'est cette chose qui est la chose plus important. It's this thing which is the thing that's most important. Or you could say le plus important est cette chose. The most important thing, le chose plus important est cette chose. That's what I'm talking about. Do I you, think I do that a lot in when I do my scientific writing. I do it the other way around compared to how I usually speak. It's 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 especially with languages where we often translate something in our head and and try and say it in the other language where you get stuck because you're like if I don't know this word what can I say? It's basically having that flexibility to think I can just move that bit of the sentence to the start and it will still be okay. And you can do that as you've just said in English as well and it will make sense. In fact, you could go a bit further and say that this is where language becomes a bit of an art because you should you could if you're really good be able to think about what part of the sentence is most important and where can I place that word in the sentence that will give it the most limelight, you know? So if you're talking in science, a very good writer I think will be able to put the most important bit of the sentence in the right place, you know, so it doesn't get lost in, yeah. a, in a crowd of long words, for example, or a crowd of words with lots of meaning. It's li- nice to put a very important word uh, and surround it with words which don't carry as much meaning so it stands out more. Again, I think that's like a, and oh, also another thing, when when people are writing well, I think that you change up the order a lot because it's a bit uncomfortable to read the same structure again and again, you know, 50 years ago, this event happened. 20 years later, this followed on from that. After this happened, you know, that, it's that's quite not mundane. as nice. As, yeah, it's very yeah, repetitive. It's very repetitive. And I think that's a like an early area for improvement when someone's trying to improve at writing. Oh, no, I'm, actually, this is really important because when, one, when a person is reading it, and because it's all the same, you kind of get, your brain doesn't have any kind of anchor points to be able to remember any particular aspect of it because every single sentence was basically the same in terms of the structure so you're it's hard for your brain to kind of like pick out a particular sentence because like you're saying good writing is where you kind of focus the reader's attention to a word or a particular sentence or a particular point right but you can't do that if it's all the same because then it's all just like you know perfectly homogenous so and then it's like that in your brain so when I, so I went through a period over the past year reading a lot of books and some people asked me how I'd like remember stuff from the books. And to be fair, I, and because I'd say that I, I don't really make notes on it. I don't really go back and reread the book. Sometimes I'd flick through some of the highlights or if I really remember, really wanted to get a particular point or quote, then I'd go back to the book. But I haven't really done that that much and I haven't really, I'd planned on consolidating, making like consolidating notes for certain books I've read, but I just never got around to it because... I'm lazy. Um, but I noticed that if I just kind of read and I just read the book and as long as I'm focused and not distracted, I'll just read as fast as I can and just read the book. And if it's a well-written book, right, like you're saying, the sentences will be different and it will just focus your point, uh, focus the point around a particular story or make a story around a particular point, I mean. Um, and you just kind of remember these general concepts and stuff. And our brains are taking everything in. My brain is taking in every single word to read it, right? Or at least when I'm reading it, I won't perceive it that way or I'll just feel like oh, maybe I should reread that page because I didn't really take it all in. But my brain is taking it in. It's just that it's probably, it's just not at the forefront of my brain. Right. It probably never will be. But as long as it's well-written, when the correct context comes for me to recall that piece of information, I usually can. Or at least it will, it will just ring a massive alarm bell. It's like, this was basically mentioned like at this point in this book. I just can't remember exactly. Then I'll go back to it. Or I can just kind of remember it, even though I didn't really focus on that point. I was just like, yeah, okay. It was just a point in passing. And I just went on. 
so actually context is really important as well. And this is just a massive side point. But yeah, if it's a well-written book, you don't really have to concentrate in terms of trying to, oh, like, I need to memorize all of this kind of thing, or I need to make notes on it or, or something as well. It's, I think it's also a question of like repetition. Like if you read enough, then you become accustomed to the many different ways that you can say something. Yeah. And it's incredible how much like word order affects the tone you come across at with and stuff. For example, you know, if you lead with the most important word of the sentence, it can sometimes be quite aggressive or you can keep someone waiting until the end of the sentence for the most important bit. Like, um, it's, it's tomorrow that I expect you to finish your work that as opposed to saying like, Oh, I expect you to finish your work by tomorrow. It's, slightly more aggressive i would say to say it's tomorrow you're leading with the deadline you know yeah and everything else comes after it little tiny things like that i think change they subtly change the tone that you're trying to come across with and i think over time trying to become more aware of that can really change like you can become you can sort of yeah you, you can sort of manipulate the structure of a sentence a little bit to change its meaning and i think that's a skill uh, not not one that i would ever claim to like have yet but one day i'd like to be able to have that skill and i think language learning has really helped my English in that regard. And it's all sort of the same point that I'm making here, but there's one more example I'd like to give from my, my mother tongue. Mm-hmm. When I say my mother tongue, it's my mother's language, <laughs> not my, my mother tongue's English, <laughs> but my mother, my mum's language, Portuguese. Something, do you mind me giving one more example? Um, Go ahead. So, o que é que estás fazer? O que é que estás fazer? Basically, that means like, what are you doing? But if you break it down, it's o que é que estás a fazer? And what it means is, what is it that estás, you, estás, you, to do? So it's actually saying, what is it that you're doing? Mm. It's demanding an answer, like, what is it? Instead of like, what are you doing? Mm. Which is like in English, how we'd say it, and it's quite vague. In Portuguese, they, they word it more specifically, okay what is it that you're doing mm. it's slightly more pointed i would say and it's also they've they've led they've led the sentence with the like answer like what is it that you're doing i don't know if that makes sense yeah no it it, it does make sense that's how they sort of lead um that's how they sort of lead their questions a lot of the time and i think that's super interesting it's just a slight subtle difference between how it's done in english and in, in portuguese and i think you can implement that into your english like you know um yeah what is it that you want to do tomorrow mm. instead of like what do you want to do tomorrow now i sort of i'll bring that structure into my english a little bit more and it makes perfect sense if you say that to someone yeah what is yeah. it that you really want to improve at in this it it feels a bit more direct and I feel it feels a bit more like thought has been put into that question if I said to you what is it that you're like missing out on in in this piece of writing or you know mm. do you see where I'm coming from again yeah, yeah because it strikes this perfect balance where it's not how like so there's a way that everyone would just say like how are you doing yeah, yeah. that's just very basic so it just kind of yeah it's just it's more vague yeah exactly and it's just what everyone says so it's just the same yeah and then you can go to the other extreme which is you use some weird superfluous words that no one really knows. So, okay, it's probably easier in writing, but you've probably read some books that are very basic. Like it's not engaging or the writing isn't that great because it's just like very basic words, very basic sentence structures. You've also probably read stuff that's really, you just found it really hard to read. You just didn't know what a lot of the words meant. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just using vague words where they could have used just more simple words, like just lay terms rather than using really weird niche like 
terms um, and it doesn't really add anything to the meaning. It's not like it was really specific in its definition. And then the way they structured the sentences was just really weird. It, it was just so like different compared to what you would expect in normal spoken English or standard yeah, written yeah. English. So it's all about the middle where you use words that you don't say in your, you don't speak in your everyday language, Yes, but everyone kind of knows the meaning of those words. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And it's the same way where you would write in certain ways where you wouldn't really speak it, but it's not so extreme that like you, it's hard to understand, but then it's just in the middle where, like you were saying with those examples, where you would just phrase it slightly differently, where everyone can just understand it and people don't even really think twice about it. But the meaning that comes across is very different or not very different, but subtly different actually. So, but it, yeah, it plays a big effect in the reader's mind or listener's mind. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm just like, vomiting examples out of my head right just, now. just go do it <laughs> no it's, it's just it's the same one in portuguese like yeah how was the day how was your day today but like how is it that your day was today like yeah you know it's more demanding and, and i'm also thinking in like urdu when when earlier i asked you yeah and you actually explained that Ab, yeah up you it, Okay. So, so you're leading the, the, yeah, like you, the sentence, yeah. but it's respectful, isn't it, at yeah. the same time? Yeah, yeah, that's how you just normally say it, yeah. So you, in English, you would never say like you. But the thing is, you could also say que se hit up. You could also say that. There you go. But what would be the difference and how, how would that come across differently? Because there'll be a subtle difference. Que se hit up versus ab que se hit. I feel like ab is just, again, it's more direct towards someone because you're leading it with you, like yeah. you. And then ab que se hit, que he is uh, doing. What bit is you? Are you up? Up. Kese is how. Here is is. Ah, oh, yeah, is ah, oh, yeah. So for for this one, it's you how are. Yeah. Instead of how are you. Yeah. You can break it up with the you how are. You yeah. how are how are yeah. how is and the it? thing in which one is like slightly more formal, or you do it to someone like who's more like you know that you should pay respect towards like you know an elder or someone mm. rather than like to your friend. Um, where, you know, you'd speak more generally. Fascinating. So, so in English, the equivalent would be like, your day, how was it? Yeah. Your day, how was it? You're leading with the subject kind of. Or like, mm. But the thing is, in English, like, you, you would never really say it like that. No, you wouldn't. But, but I don't know, maybe a better example in English would be, say, I don't know. So how, what I'd, do, I'd usually just say something like, how are you doing? Kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas I suppose in a more formal sense, you'd say like, you, you'd be more direct with your question, I suppose, like, but if we're talking How about are you today, kind of if we're talking about direct, I don't think it gets much more direct than Mandarin, where yeah. literally you will you will demand a you will demand an answer. Like like the most one of the most common phrases in Mandarin, ni hao ma, that ni hao ma ni is um, you how mm. good ma is just like a question particle. So it's like demanding it like ma demands an answer. Like you good. So it's, it's literally you good question. Is, is, I'm saying to you, are I mean, you that's good? That's how I spend like, how you I spend you good? You good question. I'm good. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you're having to indicate what, <laughs> you good open question. You good close question, short answer please. Um, fascinating though, like the, the these very simple elements of a language, which every language has, you know, how are you? That will exist in every single language, but yeah. even something like that, depending on the culture of the people, depending on how they interpret that, like depending on how direct they are as a people, it completely influences how the language comes across. And that's mm. what's so amazing about language that even the most simple phrases can sort of reflect the mentality of the people and how they interact with each other. Because you can see from that, it makes sense to me that 
people from China generally, culturally, are a bit more direct in how they speak versus in English where, you know, it's, it's a lot more nuanced, a lot more gentle in the way that things are often said. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Hindi slash Urdu, unfortunately, I don't speak that those languages at all but it will be the exact same thing with those languages and that's why there's such a, a pull or like an appeal to learn these languages because it helps you understand how the people think you know and that's like that's a tremendous gift to be able to and, and a privilege to be able to understand people better in that regard so yeah super super interesting but a lot of those thoughts recently have come from reading in French and thinking oh like you can say this in a couple of different ways and it will still make sense. So I don't need to get caught up in the specifics. And over time, I will learn how things are generally said. You know, it doesn't matter so much at the moment. I'm mm. not at a point where I'm good enough to convey that specific meaning. I would rather just get my point across broadly. And once I've had enough conversations or once I've read enough books, this is what I was talking about, the importance of reading more in it, I will notice, ah, with this topic, they generally phrase it in that way. That's fine. And yeah. that will come with time. There's no rush to learn that specifically now. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I'm, I've completely hijacked this whole um, episode. <laughs> when so, the preamble becomes the episode. We need to ban me from talking about um, languages, about languages in yeah. the preamble because it's never going to go well. <laughs> super, super interesting though. Um, yeah, no. Maybe one day you can help me with Urdu. I'd love to be able to... I mean, uh, I need to help myself first, so... <laughs> I think I think you, you have the like privilege of grown up you've grown up in a household where it is regularly spoken so even yeah. if you've not like oh you see th this is the problem i can understand it i can always just understand it but when i when it comes to the point of me speaking it i struggle to put the sentences together yeah that, i don't I, know why i mean it's probably just a simple uh question of like how much time you spent interacting with the language in both forms because what i'm saying is like i imagine you know i haven't grown i've grown up i've spent a lot of time in your household and there's always urdu being flown around isn't there yeah. whether it be on the tv between your parents speaking on the phone or to each other or even to you a lot of the time your mum and dad will speak to you in urdu a lot right yeah so like you're hearing that but you often reply in english right because yeah, you know you're using that day to day you can yeah. express yourself better in it yeah but you already have the privilege of knowing the language even mm. if it's just in one way more than another i don't think it would take you very long if you made a concerted effort to just keep replying back to things in order to just get used to speaking it yeah i suppose it's just the discomfort i have where i'm just struggling to even though it's like if my parents were to say the same thing that i want to say right now i'd understand it perfectly and know exactly yeah. what they mean but for some reason i can't string the words together out of my mouth yeah. to say it I don't know. I suppose it just irritates me so much that it just turns me off from ever even trying it. I, I, don't I think know. that's a key thing in language learning is the like, and it's something, so for example, in French, I've always found it a bit more frustrating than in other languages. And I think it's a cultural thing with, uh, this isn't a criticism to France, but they, they are, a, a, I feel a little bit more particular about speaking French properly as opposed to maybe my experiences with people who speak Spanish, where there's less of a pressure to speak it grammatically perfectly. Mm. I think it's a historical, traditional sort of thing. So I'm more afraid of speaking French than I am of speaking Spanish or even Mandarin, where I'm quite comfortable now trying to like just have basic conversations, and uh, having basic conversations and stuff. So it's a question of just getting over that fear and not being afraid to make those mistakes. And I think that's key to any language. So with Urdu and your experience, yeah, maybe it's frustrating because you could articulate yourself better in English. So why not just slip yeah. into the English? But you just have to get over that feeling, basically. That's what I'm saying. And yeah. I don't think it will take you long. And I've yeah, got a vested wouldn't. interest here because I want you to teach me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the, the problem is, is that both my parents understand English very well. Yeah. Also my dad yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and my mom as well. They can always just perfectly understand me. 
Right, so, I feel like it's the other way around. So am I right in thinking with your with your mum, she understands English pretty much perfectly, but she uses spoken Urdu so much that she's quite comfortable speaking Urdu to you. So that I feel like I feel like a lot of your conversations are like multilingual. Like it's <laughs> it's a mix of English and Urdu the whole time. As in like my mum will just be speaking in Urdu, right? And I'll just be replying in English. Yeah. yeah. So You need to switch it up. <laughs> Yeah, as in, yeah, my mom has said this, like, she'll speak English to improve her speak, spoken English, and then I speak Urdu to improve my spoken one, so it just switches it completely, but I don't know, and my mom will do it, but I don't know, I just... It makes the conversation, it's, it's frustrating when you know you could have a more meaningful yeah. conversation if you just use your more comfortable language. Yeah, and then, I don't know, because I've always struggled with languages as well, mm. even just English, just speaking, reading and writing... So now that I'm at a point where, you know, I can express myself relatively well, you know, and comfortably using English, having to go all the way back, it's just like, it's like going back, not like a traumatic, it's like going back to yeah. that, or that, you know, just period when I was younger and I would just always struggle so much with it, trying to get my point across and just my like language writing and speaking abilities overall, just in English, which was my most comfortable language. So then having to go back and kind of re-experience that kind of struggle is just like, yes. so I suppose it's more of a personal thing as well, but I, I think know, I think now speaking about it, it's just, I think I'm more like, really I think good with, for it now. With you as well, there's one other thing I'd add, which is ultimately your dream would be to be able to speak Arabic fluently, right? Yeah. Whether that be a particular dialect or being able to read the language basically perfectly. And I imagine that's going to happen at some point. I You're, hope so. <laughs> I, I hope so as well. I think it would be amazing for you. And um, something I would say is Arabic obviously is such a difficult language. I don't know much about the language, but we all know that it's like for an English speaker, extremely hard to learn. And a huge challenge to expect from you to be able to learn one of the hardest languages in the world, relatively speaking, to a fluent degree, having not really spent too much time learning foreign languages. So I wonder whether it would be almost better to mm. spend one or two years on either Urdu or a simple European language like Spanish and get used to the process of learning the language hmm. with a slightly one that gives you more leeway. I, I think Urdu could be a good one because you've already got such a base in it. Like you you actually can listen almost like you can listen very proficiently in Urdu. So I don't think it would take you that long to just get used to putting sentences together in your head and making those structures. Hmm. And as you do that, you'll learn like, oh, you know, this this verb doesn't really exist in English. So... I have to like view it in a different light and sort of make those gaps with a slightly simpler language for you, as opposed to doing all of those really challenging things about learning a language in a very difficult language. Also with a different writing system where you have to constantly be thinking about that as you're reading it as well. Whereas if you're learning like Spanish, where you also already have a base, that's sort of eliminated and you can just focus on the grammar and the verbs and like how to structure sentences. Hmm. What I'm saying is, any person I speak to who wants to learn new languages, I'm tempted nowadays to say, look, if you want to learn a very hard language like Arabic or something, you clearly will, like, you're prepared to commit a lot to it. Why don't you, first of all, learn Spanish fluently? It will take two years if you really go for it. Wow. Two years of your whole life. You've got, you know, hopefully, you know, 60, 70 years left in your life. Spend two or three years learning Spanish really well. Get used to that. It's not a bad skill to have as well, by the way. Mm. It's not pointless. You'll be fluent in Spanish after it. And then you'll be much more acquainted with the language learning process. And you can apply those things you learned about yourself and how you learn the language mm. to a more difficult language then. So what I'm saying is, yeah, like 
I think that's a, a good route. Like start with Spanish or start with, you know, Italian or something like that or Portuguese, you know, mm. um, and then move on to a very difficult language. Or in your case, you could start with Urdu because you've got an incredible base already in it. Yeah, that actually makes the most sense. That, this feels like a therapy session at this point now. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense because I, I can't really read Urdu at all. So mm. I suppose if I actually try to... But it's to, the Arabic script, right? More it, or less. It, it, it uses the Arabic it. alphabet with one or two slight differences. Um, but it's the, all the there way for you, man. It's yeah, all know, yeah. there. So the thing is, so when I read Arabic, I use it like diacritical marks to know whether it should be like an A, E or U sound for yeah. each letter. Um, in order, they don't really have that. So it's all just kind of like just the letters strung together. And then you just kind of see what the... And in actual Arabic, like that's how it is with there. You don't have the diacritical marks. Man. So um, you just kind of know what the word looks like. You can just see the words. So I, I can't really do that. But if I learn how to do that in Urdu, then because I have a better base with the language overall, right, I'd be able to do that better. Whereas with Arabic, I'd find it harder just because I don't know the words as well. And then that would translate over to me probably being able to read Arabic better, which I also struggle with. I suppose that's just the dyslexia side of it. But then because, yeah, they like the roots are very close in mm -hmm. like the languages between Urdu and Arabic. I suppose, yeah, once I start being able to well, like properly speak or then in the terms of like being able to speak fluently, um, like past like basic conversational and stuff, then yeah, I think that'll make the Arabic process or Arabic side of it probably a lot easier. I've got a little expectation on you now to almost just oh, start. Yeah. Surely then with Urdu, you've got this really good opportunity where what if you just started reading basic things in Urdu to get used to reading the alphabet? And then if you could, in a language that you understand, as yeah. opposed to with Arabic, you're sounding out, you can sound out a word, but you don't even know what the word means a lot of yeah, the time. Yeah, I mean, 90% of the time, yeah. You, we've already said, yes, you can't speak it too fluently, but if you're reading, if you like sounding out the words, a lot of them will be words that you actually know. Yeah. So you'll be able to pick up the sentences slowly. Surely that's like a, a way I think that's what's actually it. missing in Urdu, actually, because I haven't done any reading in it. And because I just listened to it, I... I don't know how to properly s structure sentences, if that makes sense. And because, yeah, that, that's the issue I have. It's not so much that I don't know the words. The reason I can't recall the right word at the right time is because I don't know how I should be structuring the sentence anyway in the first place. Oh, man, honestly, it, like, okay, it, using that Portuguese example, like, okay, I, I can now apply that to French. So this is what I was saying about my French getting better. Uh, an example would be, c'est quoi que tu veux faire aujourd'hui? It's... It's what that you want to do today. You could also say, tu veux faire quoi aujourd'hui? You want to do what today? Mm. That's more of an English way of saying it, right? So I think leaving school, if I wanted to make that sentence, I would have probably said that, tu veux faire quoi aujourd'hui? I don't think it's the right way to say it, but mm. I think people will definitely understand you. But now I know from Portuguese, the bridge language, the one in between that I've got better at over time, I now know you can say in, in a language, C'est quoi? It's what that you want to do today. C'est quoi que tu veux faire aujourd'hui? Mm. And so, do you see what I'm trying to say there? Yeah. It's, I learned that structure, that exact structure I've learned from Portuguese. I've not learned that from English. Mm. So learning that other language has helped me improve my ability to get around an obstacle on how do I word this? Oh, let's just, okay, I can't use an English phrasing here. It doesn't make sense. Okay, I'll try and use more of a Latin phrasing. Mm. That's what, that's something so fascinating about languages that the more you learn from different languages, the more you can apply to your chosen new language. So yeah, with the Urdu, you'll be maybe wording something in a different way, 
So when you're trying to speak Arabic in the future, if your English is not translating into it, you can just think, okay, let's take let's take the structure from Urdu. This might be 10, 15 years down the line. There's no rush, but we're so young that you have the time now. Mm. You know, why not just get your Urdu basically fluent over yeah. the next few years? You've just got that in the bank. Still got some brain plasticity left in the bank yeah, as well. The, so. the plasticity that's left, <laughs> yeah. might as well yeah. utilize it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I, I'm so sorry. I know I've yeah, fully, fully taken over this episode. That's definitely the episode now. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get <laughs> yeah. on to the content. All right, preamble over like 40 minutes in. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, I hope that that was okay though, not too disjointed. I know when I talk about languages, I get a bit too passionate. My heart rate definitely goes up. I can feel it's gone up. Mm. Might be the chai as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, and I, I hope that when I do get passionate, I don't like lose my trains of thought and start like zigzagging too much. So yeah, no. I guess. As in, I, I think we covered a lot of topics in a very kind of structural way or a very organic way, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, These no, are the best episodes. These huh? are the best ones. <laughs> but they're, they're, they're real, you know, like we yeah. just... Sit and talk. Sit and yeah. talk. That's why I think doing it in person is like so Yeah, nice. the dynamic is just so different, man. It is different, man. We just have to synchronise every time we like, yeah, we're in Bournemouth or in yeah. London or whatever. For sure. But... Yeah, these ones are the best. But um, yeah, that can be now part three then of the language learning. Um, yeah, like, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that, actually. That's amazing. And my final uh, comment is, as I said, I've used a lot of phrases in different languages here today, and I don't claim to be fluent in any of them. So any big, if I've made any big mistakes, anyone, like, just feel free to get in contact. And I will in the next episode at the start, just say, I'll clarify those. Yeah, and so, I can update the show notes as well yes, to say, yes. like, at this time. Because I don't blah, want blah, blah. to be, yeah, I don't want to be giving wrong information. Mm. I think it's all pretty fine, though. And the, the bottom line is the points I'm making, that yeah. you can phrase things differently and stuff. So yeah, uh, thank you for joining me on that on that journey into the depths of how we use language in our lives. And yeah. uh, I look forward to episode four of the series. Cause, Where I start to teach Urdu. <laughs> yeah, and then, next time I put a bit of pressure on you now. So I will be following up in the future and we can try and uh, yeah have some uh, Urdu teaching lessons. Well, my mom is going to be very happy after this episode. Yeah, 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 there you go. All right, I'll catch you in a bit then. All right, peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Getting It. If you enjoyed this episode, or didn't, then feel free to leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts app, or on the Apple Podcasts website. We'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or questions about anything we discussed, so feel free to email us at thoughts at You can also reach us on Twitter or Instagram at gettingit underscore pod. You can find all the links in the show notes.